Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. If we have to go back to the Supreme Court, we will, because frankly, I think this Supreme Court will back the protection of the borders of the United States. Within 12 months, I was pulled over more than 10 times by law enforcement. And why I asked, why did you pull me over? They said, oh, you are you don't belong here. You uh, are here illegally. It is high time we pass this and keep our guard where it should be unless the United States Congress declares war. This is a monumental step towards protecting our children, promoting a healthier future for Arizonans, and building an Arizona where every child has the chance to thrive. Many of my colleagues in the Senate have decided that they have no interest in actually securing the border. And what they're interested in doing is just talking about it and accusing each other for political purposes. As we know, in Southern Arizona, that's not a solution. It's political malpractice. And with me to talk about a series of immigration-related bills advancing at the state capitol, a spat between two high-profile Arizona Republicans and more, are Marcus Delartino of First Strategic. Good morning, Marcus. Good morning. And Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies. Stacey, good morning to you. Hi. So let's start with neither of those stories, but something that we uh, heard about uh, toward the beginning of the week, which is that Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, who has announced that she is not running for re-election in Congress, will instead be running for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors for the seat uh, that Clint Hick has said that he will not be running for re-election for. Marcus, was this a surprise that she's deciding to, to run again for specifically for the seat? I was not surprised, but I could see why other people would be surprised. I mean, I'd, I'd spoken to her not very long after she decided to, to not run for Congress. And the issue really is family. She's not being able to spend enough time with her family. Um, her mother is in her 90s. Um, she's got grandkids. Um, and you know, from what I've seen, by the way, grandkids are the, about the best thing on the planet. I'm not, I don't have any personal knowledge of this yet, but this parenting thing's really a pain in the rear end. Uh, but I think the reward is grandparents. So, um, I think this job, uh, affords her that opportunity to go home every night, um, have weekends, have evenings, uh, with her family, um, and still be part of the political process. So it, it seems like a perfect fit. Does she automatically become the front runner in that primary? I would say so. I mean, she certainly got the ability to raise money. We know that. Um, and it's a safe Republican district. Um, she's well known in that community, Sun City, Sun City West. Um, and so I, it, right now, where the race lands, I think you've got to say she's the presumptive nominee. Yeah, Stacey, how do you see this primary shaping up now that she is in it? I think it's terrifying, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I think she certainly is the front runner for that seat. And to Marcus's point, she can fundraise, but she is an election-denying lunatic, and she is going to be in charge of certifying elections. And we, we've seen what happened with Clint Hickman, with other supervisors who uh, who it took a toll on their life, on, on their health, uh, to defend against the big lie. And she was part of that, and that's something we all should be worried about. Yeah, Marcus, what do you make of that? Because she was part of the the group in the House that voted to not accept Arizona's results and some others. Is that problematic, potentially, to have somebody like that in a position where they are in charge of, of certifying the results? 
I I don't think so. I mean, my experience with her is she's far more rational than sort of some people would would like to describe her. Um, and two, I have a sneaking suspicion that, and I know this is very contrarian. I don't think this is going to be a close election. <laughs> I think we're going to see blowouts across the board. Hmm. Um, and I think if that are, is the case, there's going to be less talking about elections and more talking about messaging. Now, of course, she wouldn't be in a position to do anything about this until the 2026 election. But Stacey, you you looked a little bit skeptical. If I can read your facial expressions, <laughs> you looked a little bit skeptical when Marcus was talking there. Look, I, I certainly hope he's right. I, I hope a large number of Republicans are looking back on their behavior in 2020 and have regret. I, I don't think that's the case. And certainly um, the the public comments from Carrie Lake and others and Trump currently make a tell a different story. But I, I hope she's moderating. I hope she's looking back and saying that was nuts and wrong and shouldn't happen again. All right. So, Marcus, uh, Stacey brought up Carrie Lake. So let's let's talk about Carrie Lake and Meghan McCain, because it seems as though they're not going to be uh, sending each other holiday cards this year. Pretty big, uh, big spat. I, maybe that's a nice way to say it. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Carrie Lake, of course, uh, during her gubernatorial campaign, had some pretty not nice things to say about, quote unquote, McCain Republicans, uh, talking about driving a stake through the heart of the McCain machine and, and other things. And now it seems like she is trying to make peace with Meghan McCain, who is having none of it. Yeah, I think that people have forgotten some of the more vicious attacks that took place. I've noticed lately the media wants to talk about, you know, if you're with McCain, get out of the room. Um, but they've conveniently forgot about the very personal attacks on Cindy, uh, on John and and certainly the kids. So um, it's all understandable from that context if you remember some of those things that were said. Um, I think the strategy is Interesting. I'm not too sure how it's going to play out. What I mean by that is clearly there is a concerted effort uh, from the late campaign to go after those McCain people and try and court them back into the into the fold. Um, That is a really tall mountain to climb, I guess I would say. Um, From what I've seen recently, they're they're not believing that it was a joke, um, as has been described. The McCain folks are not believing that Lake's comments were a joke. Right. Okay, but. Um, let's just say for argument's sake, you pick up some of them, maybe half of them. Um, at the same time, you're going to be losing a segment of your base that you spent months courting, um, bashing John McCain. And now you're saying, oh, no, John's a hero or we like the McCains or whatever it very well may be. So you're going to lose 10 percent of that uh Contingency. So at the end of the day, I haven't somebody's going to have to describe to me what the strategy is to get to a net win here. <laughs> Stacy, is this the proverbial sort of pulling the bedsheet where if you go, you know, if you try to tug on one side to get some of those McCain voters, you're, you are losing the base. Like, do, does the base care if she, if Lake is going after the McCain folks, if they can be convinced, well, this is what she needs to do to win? Uh, That's the question, right? And truthfully, we're so far away from the election. Normal folks are not paying that close of attention. And they certainly um, are not in the weeds on whether or not the McCain family and the late campaign have made up. Um, I think it's very clear they're not going to. And so to Marcus's point, there really has not been a net change there. I just don't understand Lake's, Lake's attempt to do the same thing over and over again. I mean, it's the definition of insanity, right? She continues to try to court the moderates who tell her to go pound sand. 
And it's a, it's a strange approach. Well, it's interesting. We also saw a, a poll this week uh, from Mike Noble showing that in a head-to-head matchup, uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego has about a 10-point lead over Kerry Lake. If uh, Senator Kirsten Cinema enters, the race becomes much closer. Uh, Gallego uh, is basically up by three points over Lake, with Cinema taking almost a quarter, about 23 percent of the vote. Stacey, what do you make of that? I mean, we've been talking for a long time about how – Senator Sinema getting into the race could shake things up. This potentially provides a pretty interesting data point. It was a really interesting data point. And I dug around a bit in the crosstabs, too. And where Sinema really gained ground from both candidates is in the suburbs, mm. in metropolitan suburbs. And there, where those voters go, so goes the state. And so it's very, very interesting um, how close that narrows. And it also, I think, is telling that Lake's not picking up new voters from her gubernatorial loss. And so she's going to have a very difficult road to Congress. I We could spend the rest of the show talking about not only this poll, but the Emerson poll that came out at the same time, which basically statistically sort of reflect closely, I will say, to one another. Um, and I will tell you, both of them used registered voters instead of likely voters, mm-hmm. which tells right. me some of these numbers are a lot tighter um, that are reflected in there. Um, what I think most political progress, progress, what prognosticators, prognosticators, <laughs> maybe also, procrastinators we also too, yeah. <laughs> would we're assuming is that Cinema was pulling uh, either from Ruben, uh, and we know Ruben thought that, and uh, or or from Lake, and. You know, looking at the Emerson poll, I can make the argument she was pulling evenly from both, yeah. uh, which I th- think was sort of interesting. Ruben is up with women uh, si- significantly and put that in the context of he's running against two women. So that's an interesting data point uh, from that race. But all of this said, um, you know, this is all going to come down to turnout. Uh, and so, you know, if we continue, what we do know from the poll is immigration is the number one issue in Arizona. Trump's up by three. Uh, if this continues the way we think it is, um, you know, Republicans are going to turn out. Democrats m- are not all that excited about Biden being the nominee. Um, and that could certainly have some tailwind effect for, for Lake and she could pull this out. But it leaves out my conspiracy that Joe Biden will eventually won't be the nominee. <laughs> We're going to have a floor fight at the Democratic convention. America is going to be glued to the TV for four days. And it will be Gavin Newsom out of California. Wow. All right. Well, so since we're making bold, totally conspiracy, we're talking bold prognostications here. I know I ask you guys this every time you're here, but until we have an answer, I have to keep asking. Stacey, do you think cinema runs? She certainly has time to get in. The the stories that we're reading about how time is running out are absolutely dead wrong. She can collect signatures online that are immediately verified. And I think with a single e-blast and looking at those poll numbers, she can collect 42,000 signatures in a couple of days. Mm. And so she has all of this month, what's left of February, and all of March to get 42,000 people to click a link. So she certainly has time to get in. Do you think she runs, Marcus? I am certainly less. You know, you asked me, you know, three weeks ago, I was said, oh, yeah, she's definitely in. Uh, you know, this week my tide is starting to turn, and I'm at huh. about a fifty-fifty. We're getting, we are getting tight on time. 
All right. That is Marcus Tellertino. I'm also joined by Stacey Pearson. I'm Mark Brody in Phoenix. Stacey, we saw a number of immigration-related bills going through the state legislature this week. There was a measure to send to the voters basically dealing with E-Verify and trying to make sure that that workers are allowed to be working, that they're in the country legally. There's a a bill uh, allowing the state to arrest people here illegally. Some folks are calling this uh, SB 1070 version 2.0. I'm curious what you make of the fact that we are seeing all of these bills. Now, Marcus mentioned that, you know, immigration is a top issue for a lot of voters. I mean, is that really what this is about? I think there it's twofold, right? It it is the horrifying scenes were shown at of lines of humans trying to come to the United States, right? It's there's a humanitarian crisis. And then second to that, folks are are just frustrated with the lack of action by the federal government. Um and it, it certainly if these if any of these are referred to the ballot, um which certainly has been discussed, I think it's um it, it could be an approach to to get Republican voters out and mitigate some of the um, expected impact that the abortion measure is going to have. So, Marcus, forgive me for asking a cynical question about politics. (laughs) However, how much of this is about trying to actually deal with the situation at the border and how much of it is about trying to rally the base and, and maybe get particular voters to the polls? You know, I'd probably got to say 50-50 because both are, you know, huge reasons why they're going to appear on the ballot. Um, and, to, you know, I agree with Stacy. The voters are, it, you know, they're frustrated. Look at the polls. Um, it's yeah. overwhelmingly the number one issue and rightfully so. Um, it's a federal issue. And as I like to say, look, I'm f- pretty fiscally conservative. If the state of Arizona is having to pay for some of these functions, it means I'm getting double taxed because I paid that in my federal tax for the federal government to take care of that problem. They're not doing it. Um, And so, uh, you know, it gets extremely frustrating. Uh, But it is it will turn out Republicans. There is no doubt. Governor Hobbs has said she would veto the bill that that some are calling the son of SB 1070 or 1072.0. It's hard. It's I guess it's kind of hard to see the the policy perspective of pursuing that. Right. Because if the governor has said she's going to veto it and the legislature continues to to vote on it and, and debate it, it almost seems like it's just kind of a symbolic thing. Yeah, I think that's that's partially true. Although I've got to tell you, I hear the son of 1070 on about every bill every year. It's kind of like when we went through this, this is alt fuels. This is the next alt fuels. Yeah. And then 1070 came. Now everything's 1070. Um, and I think the challenge is to frankly look at it through a lens that uh, is not 1070 and say, OK, what actually does this bill factually do? Um, but, yeah, you know, to your point, the bill is going to get vetoed, but Republicans are going to be able to say to their base in these overwhelmingly Republican districts, I tried to do something. Yeah. So, Stacey, is there something that the state legally can do and something that Republicans and Democrats could agree is a good idea to do relative to immigration? I think that question is best for Senator Cinema, <laughs> And that answer appears to be a hard no. Um, on, on the state, the governor's gone as far as she could in, in deploying the National Guard, encouraging the federal government to reopen Lukeville during that debacle, um, certainly doing what she can to move immigrants safely from point A to point B, not dropping them off in the middle of the desert or mm-hmm. the cities or, you know, Bisbee, Arizona. 
Um, so certainly the governor's done everything she can. Um, and it is, to Marcus's point, I completely agree on the taxes. This is the federal government's job. It, it has to get taken care of. And yet, and yet yeah, here we are. as we heard from Senator Sinema mm-hmm. at the top of the show, it's not. Yep. At, least, at least not on the federal level and seemingly not on the state level either because, you know, the legislature is passing some bills that the governor has said she'll veto, maybe getting something to the ballot and, you know, we'll see what the voters do with it. Yeah. And look, federal, I, I'm in full disclosure, I'm married to a cop. Local police do not want to enforce federal immigration. They have their hands full. They they have all of the work that needs to be done and more. They're trouble. They have trouble recruiting, retaining. Um, so certainly, this this should not be the job of our local governments, and it should absolutely be um, the function of the federal's. Marcus, in the early part of the two thousands, we saw a lot of voter approved initiatives related to immigration, related to immigrants going to the going to the ballot, and almost all of them. I'm trying to think of one that didn't pass and none are coming to mind. And many of them passed with pretty overwhelming support. Are we in the same kind of climate now where if the uh, E-Verify measure goes to the ballot, does it – do you think it wins? Uh, no, your climate's a lot more fierce than it was in 2000. <laughs> it's going to, it is going to sail through. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the argument uh, is going to be, look, E-Verify is an existing program. Yeah. We're just expanding it. And I think actually I think a lot of people forgot about E-Verify, but you're supposed to be doing it, people. Um, and so that's going to be the argument moving forward. All right. So state lawmakers also are advancing a bill that would basically uh, require Congress to declare war before the Arizona National Guard can be sent overseas. Uh, senators heard testimony from the head of the Arizona National Guard basically saying, if you do this, we are going to lose all kinds of equipment and funding. Didn't seem to d- deter the Senate, Marcus. No, I mean, they, they've kind of got their heads, you know, stuck on this one on where they want to go. And it's, I understand their point. I certainly do. Um, however, it's a lot more complicated than it looks on uh, paper. It's not it, – this is not a Twitter argument as they say. <laughs> um, and so it's tied to millions and millions of dollars in equipment that yeah. we're using. I mean if you see a Black Hawk helicopter flying over Phoenix, that's what's going on here. Um, and so I suspect at the end of the day this one's going to get bogged down in a little bit more of those details. Yeah, Stacey, do you see this as one that maybe doesn't quite make it to the governor, basically given the concerns of all the, the funding loss and equipment loss? Exactly. I, I don't think I – th- I hope this dies on the vine quickly. Um, it's just absurd. And, and there are so many issues that are outstanding that need to be addressed. Just get back to work, <laughs> please. <laughs> well, and I think it, to put it in context for some of your, your listeners, um, you know, remember we had a lot of guardsmen overseas that were hurt or injured. Right, or, the, the ones in, in Jordan not right. that long mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I think that the some of the re- Republicans' point is that we'd like to have a say on whether it was worth it to send those boys over there or not. Is it also in relation we've seen, especially on the Republican side, diminished support, for example, for sending aid and equipment to places like Ukraine. Like, is this an extension of that or is this a separate issue, Marcus? No, it's all revolves around this huge pivot within the Republican Party of more of an isolationist form of national policy. 
um, which, again, is about another hour-long show. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but it also highlights there is a division within the Republican Party on that issue. We've got the old Ronald Reagan Republicans who are saying, you know, you got to hold the line on communism. And, you know, if you let Putin into uh, uh, Ukraine. Ukraine, he's just going to keep marching. Um, and you've got a faction of the Republicans that say we're, stop, we're done fighting everybody's war. Um, let's get out. Let's save some money and save some lives. Stacey, it is kind of an interesting position for Democrats to be in in terms of uh, they're not not promoting war for sure, but saying, look, we need to send aid to places like Israel, like Ukraine, like Taiwan to prepare for the possibility in that case of of military conflict. What I think gets disconnected in that argument um, is that those are working class jobs. And we say aid, it's not in most cases, a big bag of cash, although certainly that's part of it. <laughs> um, it's also equipment, supplies, manufacturing. It is airplanes. Yeah. It, there are helicopters. There are pilots that are going over, American pilots. Just the job loss alone on an isolationist approach when we supply the world's munitions um, it is terrifying. And those would be working class jobs that are in large part held by Democrats. All right. So, guys, we have about 30 seconds left. Spring training getting underway. Stacey, will the Diamondbacks make it back to the World Series? I hope so. That's not a yes or no? I think they will not. OK. Is it because of Shohei Otani? Yes. OK. Marcus, do they make it back? Oh, yeah. There's... Despite Shohei? Oh, yeah. All right. Um I just the energy with those boys is uh, pretty electric, so I'm excited to see. All them. right, snakes alive! That is Marcus Delartino and Stacy Pearson. Thanks, guys, for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks. You got it. You've been listening to the Friday newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.